0: It seems like some people struggled with perfectionism, and it was one of the causes of their drinking. And others fight perfectionism now they're in recovery, wanting to make up for lost time. Either way, we're diving into perfectionism in this episode, sharing what we've learned and sharing where we've struggled. So glad you're here.
1: I am so excited about this group that we have on tonight. We are meeting both Alex and Daph for the very first time, and then John is back for the third or fourth time with us. I'm gonna have everybody do introductions first. John, do you wanna go first?
2: Sure, my name's John. I uh, identify as an alcoholic in recovery. I'm here in Portland, Oregon.
1: Awesome, how long have you been sober now?
2: Uh, it is it is coming up in 17 months. Right on. Awesome.
1: Really cool. And next we'll go with Daff.
3: Hey, y'all. I am Daff. I am. I'd like to call myself a sober wino. I have been sober since July the 29th, 2018. So tomorrow will be 55 months. Uh, which is a little over four and a half years, which is nothing short of a miracle. And I just, and so grateful that y'all asked us to come on tonight. And thank you for giving me a chance to participate in my recovery today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here.
1: And I will also say Daph is a nationally certified sober coach Mm -hmm. and all kinds of other things. I'm going to include some of your information there in the show notes. So everybody can get in touch with you and follow along with your adventures if they would like to.
4: Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And then last but not least is Alex. Yeah. Hi, I'm happy to be here. My name's Alex. I am 32 years old from Minnesota. So maybe you can tell in my accent from the Midwest. My full-time job is I work in fitness and I also work in, I help lead sober groups, sober retreats, and I like to pretty much create any opportunities for people to connect through sobriety. I um, have been sober for eight and a half years, so I got sober at twenty-four. That's amazing! And yeah, I just I love getting to be in spaces like this, connecting with other sober people to hear. Their stories, experiences, and journeys to what got them to where they are today. And I think conversations like this are important because it helps other people see a little bit of themselves and recognize no one story is the same, but sobriety brings us all together at the end. Absolutely. There's so much commonality in all of our stories. If
1: we take the time just to see what we have in common, it's, it's a pretty incredible thing. So mm-hmm. really excited to have you here and sharing your stories with us. Yes, thank you. So one of the topics that comes up a lot in conversations about recovery is perfectionism. It's wrapped it up in so much of what we used to try to drink away, self-worth issues, people pleasing, lack of self-care, just to name a few. So tonight we're going to talk about perfectionism. What has that looked like for you in the past? What does it look like now? How has it played a part in your
4: recovery? I can go. So it's actually funny. I got coffee today with my sponsee and we were talking about perfectionism within recovery. And so I messaged her today and I was like, I forgot to tell you, I'm talking about perfectionism on a podcast tonight. And one of the things that her and I were talking about is how now within sobriety, there can be this like sense of feeling as though like we are talking about how, and I felt this initially in my sobriety too, and she's feeling this now, of like where we drink, right? I drank, I blacked out, I did all of these things that really took me away from the person that I wanted to be, which is when I knew something had to change in my life. And we were, had this discussion around, then we move into sobriety and it's really this beautiful thing and it's like a new opportunity. And so we put this pressure on ourselves that we have to now be perfect this is our second chance and so when we do that there's so much pressure of like I have to people please I have to get straight A's if I'm in school I have to be the best significant other all these things because this is our second chance and when we put those pressures on ourselves it really takes away like the joys of today and so what I was talking About And what I felt like I actually learned, which was like, I realized where I learned this was from in premarital counseling was we can't live our lives like tit for tat. And so like, just because I used to blackout, and I used to lie, and I used to do these things that totally to me feels like I was a completely different person doesn't mean now I have to live a life of perfection. Because if I try to be perfect, it really takes me out of the present and it makes me like stuck in my thoughts. It weighs me down. It doesn't allow me to actually be the person that I'm trying to become every single day as I walk this sober life. And so I think that's something that I have really had the opportunity to think more about is just we can try to be perfect, but let's be honest, like nobody's perfect. So learning to give ourselves grace in this process of recovery and recognizing it's a journey, it's an evolution, like Giving yourself this opportunity to embrace where you're at right now, trying to not think about like, well, I used to be this person that did X, Y, and Z when I drank, so now I have to be this totally different version. It's like, no, you don't have to be perfect. You are just turning over a new chapter into your life. It doesn't mean though that because of what you did when you drank, you have to be this perfect version. And I think that's a really important thing to think about in sobriety. That's interesting to me
1: because I, I did the same thing with perfectionism where I tried to use it to make up for, but I did it all at the same time. So I would drink two bottles of wine at night, wake up hungover, barely be be able to function as a mom and then try to be perfect all the way through the day and like beat myself up and and try to do that perfect mom thing to try to make up for who I was starting at five o'clock every night. And so it was this constant cycle of, you know, from five o'clock until I passed out, I'm this failure. So then wake up in the morning and try to be perfect and try to put on this big, huge show that everybody on the outside would see to to make myself feel better for knowing who I really was, but trying to pretend that I wasn't. So kind of similar in that I, I used the perfectionism to make up for failures or, or whatever shortcomings. But I just tried to do it. I, I tried to pack it all into the same same thing which is exhausting and miserable
2: yeah it this is my experience of perfectionism started off like even before drinking like my alcoholism the perfectionist part started like way back in childhood and like you know, thinking about how i internalized expectations from my parents and having to be just like everything perfect and i think part of the, the destructiveness of my own drinking was this idea of like well then just like forget it. Like burn everything down. Like if if I can't be perfect and I was clearly not like I'll just be horrible. Like there's no point in being like good enough. You can just be terrible. And now it's like, what is we, we talk about like getting back to who we were when, before we drank and I'm like, that's not good either. Right? Like I need yet something new. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's hard. And it's one of those things I find cropping up in unusual places, like there's some places where I'm getting better about cutting myself some slack, but there's like, weird little corners where it's like, why, why can't you just let that go? Um, and, and, and it's, it's every day finding like, what's the latest thing I'm bad at and, and learning to let that go. Um, so it's, it's just sort of like. Ongoing challenge. There's so many quarters to perfectionism I didn't really expect. So it was like the opposite. I was I was
0: like not I got to the point where not good enough was just fine. Like just screw trying to be perfect. I was never like straight A student. I was never that even like growing up. There is I would get to a point and that's about seventy five percent where the last twenty five percent got really freaking difficult. And then so I would give up or not try as hard because I could get by. I was the get by person, right? Just on whatever, just natural ability, call it whatever you want. And I got to the point where my self-worth was so, was so garbage, it wasn't even worth trying. It wasn't even worth getting up to put an effort into anything because it wasn't good enough anyway. So why bother? For me in sobriety, it was just like, what was even good? Like, just something, like, a success, I think, to me was, was, like, I still don't know what perfect is. I don't, I did, I don't have that, like, I'm not good enough drive to, to push me to, I need it to fit in this certain box, that vision, that vision just goes wherever. And, and I, I can just chase it until I, I guess, run out of energy. Does that even make sense? Like chase that vision. And then if it's done, it's done. Generally speaking, it's not perfect at all. And one of the things that I'm learning is is like, that is okay, but I have to learn to try and get closer to it, but not achieve it. Does that make sense? Like, because I need that for motivation.
1: I think that that outside pressure that we all feel, Yeah. we either respond to it with, I'm gonna keep trying and trying and trying and trying until we make ourselves miserable, yeah. or we're like, fuck it, I can't do it anyway. It seems like, I mean, and, and we were just saying before we started recording, alcoholics are kind of all or nothing. Right. So maybe you fall a little bit towards the nothing where it's like, Well, I can't win, so I'm not gonna try. And I was like, gosh darn it, I'm gonna win.
0: (laughs) Which is yeah, which is interesting though, because I quit drinking and I've only quit drinking once. Right? Right. Only quit drinking this time. So I like I'm coming up on two years sober and there has been no giving up in this. There has been a hundred percent drive and passion in this sobriety. And I don't want to go back to where I was before. And it's it's something that I live and breathe. And I don't even know what perfect sobriety is, but I love this whole journey, which is interesting because like, this is the one thing is just no giving up at all. It's all just been... In all in a hundred percent this entire way is the m- most effort I put into absolutely anything in, in my in my entire life is this hmm. and it's been the best thing I've ever done
3: all right speaking of all or nothing I'll go everything I can like ditto so much of what you said Steve because that was me it's like In school, like, I just got by. Like, high school, I was too high for school. Like, I just floated by. And if I, if I, you know, a 60, I was happy with that because I was passing. And I never really excelled in anything that, I guess I really never gave it, I never put too much into it. So I guess I wasn't expecting to get too much out of it. But just like you said, like, this is my life today and I put as much into my recovery as I did into my drinking, which is a lot. The only difference I could say is I don't wake up in the middle of the night to like read the big book, like I would wake up in the middle of the night to drink, but it's perfectionism beforehand, before, while I was drinking and all the years prior It really wasn't a big, it wasn't really a thing for me. Like, but the people pleasing, like, I guess I made up for the perfectionism in the people pleasing because I was the biggest people pleaser that I had ever met. And when I got into treatment, that was something that my counselors, like, really tried to drive home with me. They were like, why do you care so much? I'm like, well, you should care. Like, you should care what everybody thinks. And let me just tell you something. Four and a half years later, I do not care. And it took me a long time. To, to get to that point, because I would, you know, God forbid, I, you know, you asked me to do something, I didn't want to do it, I would say yes, and then I would, you know, that was my excuse to drink, because you pissed me off, and now, you know, I had to do it, you No, know, you don't have to do it, but I didn't want to offend anybody, and so for probably 10 years, the last decade of my drinking, before I got sober, that is pretty much the way I lived, like, I would always go out of my way for everybody and to do things that, you know, maybe it was a big deal. Maybe it wasn't anything, but it was the point that I never felt like, I don't want you to get mad at me. So I'm never going to say no. And my husband would always say, you know, and people would let me down because I would do it, but then nobody else would do X, Y, and Z. And he would always say, Daph, you get so upset because you expect people to say have the same heart as you and not everybody does i'm like well no now that i'm on this side i'm like no It's because they're not a pushover you know because that's exactly what i was but i didn't want anybody to get mad at me and it took me probably about two years of being sober before i finally have been able to say no and i'm not going to explain why i still kind of feel like i need to little little bit because if you tell me no i want to know why yeah but, uh, <laughs> and i think that's the reason that i always feel that I need to explain. And, uh but like I said, it probably took two years after I was the meetings that I was telling you guys about after doing them and just getting so burned out. But I never wanted to, I didn't want to stop because I didn't want to let anybody, because meetings in this, you know, in recovery are a big deal. And God forbid that I was a reason that somebody didn't get a meeting. And if I heard something happen to them, they relapsed because I did not, you know what I mean? And it's like, it took so long to, all right, you can delegate. Let's start letting other people help and let's start filling in the gaps. And, uh, but it was about two years into it. And I have a really good friend uh, that I met through Instagram and I've, we, my husband and I've flown out to see him in Phoenix. And he would, he would help me with the meetings. Uh, he started helping me when he saw us getting overwhelmed and long story short, I would always say, I would always, I'm trying to think how to work. Like you know, Oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I didn't, I, I can't, you know, uh, I'd always, I was always putting myself down. And he'd always say, Brad would always be like, Dad, you got to stop that. And then you quit explaining and quit that, you know, and I'm, and that was the best free therapy I've ever gotten. But it's so true. And it took a long time, but now today I'm okay with that. Like I can say no. Although I am kind of stressing out about going back home and having to split our time up between the in-laws and my mother. I'm like, oh God, you know, now I'm starting to agonize over that. And I'm like, I'll put that on my husband because you know what? Nothing today's worth me drinking over. But, um, but that was my whole thing was more of the people pleasing. But as far as being a perfectionist today, it's all or nothing. And just like Julie had mentioned, you know, I got sober and just like Steve, we gotta do it all, you know, COVID yet. And I'm like, oh my God. And I do these meetings. So I started the meetings and then I wanted to learn, like, what else can I learn? You know, I've been to treatment for 90 days. I I learned a lot, but there's so much more that I have got to know. So that's when I enrolled in online Zoom classes. or interactive, whatever. And I was like, okay, I want to be a recovery coach. And then I went and did Sober Companion. And then I was like, okay, what else can I do? And then I went to Relapse uh, Prevention. And then I went to Sober Transport. And um, I'm like, okay i've got a little too much going you know Mm -hmm. and so then i had to pull the reins back and so i'm finally at the point four and a half years later that i'm learning about balance which is a very another very good topic but anyway i'm sorry i'm just gonna gonna ramble on all night i know it's not speaker night i'm sorry (laughs)
0: the interesting the interesting part there daf when i was listening to you talk i was like you know here i am talking about the opposite of perfection and the opposite of perfection is acceptance. You talk about balance. That's right where that is. But then I started to think okay, like what were the things that I thought? Because perfection isn't always what everyone else thinks. It's what I think too, right? My own version of what perfect is. And one of the first things you talked about perfection, and I was like, perfectionism to people pleaser, that's straight to doormat. That's just getting walked all over. And for sure, I definitely did that that's where like the not good enough come from and and like where did that come from my version of the perfect husband was to never say no if i never said no and i always said yes then i was always like giving you you got whatever you wanted and because you got whatever you wanted that should be like that's perfect that is absolutely i'm giving you everything you want i don't say no you could go buy whatever you want just that should be, that's that that was my version of just giving, right? And I never said no, and I never said sorry. My version of being the perfect husband was that. I just took on all of that and gave all of that, and I was left with bubkis. I wasn't left with very much by the time I was all said and done because I didn't say no. And I said sorry for everything, so... The two things that I probably shouldn't have done. Shouldn't there's a bad word, but anyways, were the two things that I thought made me perfect in those aspects, which is completely wrong. It's just really interesting what come up when I listen to you talk.
2: Well, I think it's the topic of balance, because right, like if we were like, I never say sorry, like that would also that would be like sociopathic, right? Like there's there's also that end of it. Yep. And where we're all bad at is like the middle ground because like I I actually never saw myself as a people pleaser because I internalized so much of like the expectations and a lot of it, especially my past growing up was academic and, and I did it. I was like, sweet. I can actually be kind of perfect in these settings. And so it, it actually kind of reinforces like, great, you, you can actually do this. And as yeah, so you go through life. Eventually, like you can be kind of perfect-ish in school, like third grade. That doesn't mean like through every level. You can just do that forever. Like it gets harder. And when I couldn't be it, like I didn't have an alternate plan, even internally, it wasn't even like, I'm going to disappoint my parents. So there was some of that, but it's like, I, I I literally have no other conception of myself. And so it's this very adrift feeling.
4: Like something that was coming up for me when you were talking to Steve about like this people pleasing and you know, the idea of perfection is different for everybody. I think going to the back to this idea around like you don't know what you don't know, right? And so if you don't know that you always saying yes to someone is considered people-pleasing, you just think you're being a really sincere friend or husband or whatever it may be, a connection. And until you know what boundaries are, that might feel like perfection to you. I am the yeah. perfect husband. yeah, but then you start to learn about boundaries and you start to learn about people pleasing and we start to learn about the masks that we put on to fit into this mold of our expectations. And that's when we start to realize, well, like, wait, is this actually perfection, or is this this perfection that I'm sold or told to believe? And I think, Within my sobriety, what I've learned is I did people-please a lot. I didn't realize before I got sober that I was people-pleasing. I, like you, thought I was just being a good daughter. I was saying yes, even when I wanted to say no, but it felt like saying yes meant I was showing up the way that I was supposed to, and getting sober has pushed me and challenged me in ways to do the work to set boundaries and to say no to protect my time to go on a healing journey of discovering like who I am and who I want to be in this life versus who others want me to be. And it's challenged me to set aside this idea of showing up perfect and instead showing up as my favorite version of me because perfection is unreachable. It's unattainable. It's progress over perfection. And that's a huge part of the sobriety journey when we can allow ourselves to just focus on showing up 1% better great but knowing also that there are going to be days where we can't show up 1% better because maybe we got a fight in a fight with someone we love maybe we're just having a crappy day and that's okay too and giving yourself grace in those moments because when we're always striving for perfection we're always in my opinion I feel never good enough like I'm never going to get there and so I have to remind myself like I'm working to be my favorite version of me. And that's going to evolve. That's going to look different. And it's also going to look different than maybe somebody else's expectations of me or society's expectations of me. But for me, it's like, this is how I choose to show up. This is what feels best for me. And it's continuing down this path and allowing myself to have grace in that journey. Something that comes up when I hear you talk about expectations that I
1: had to figure out fairly early on I realized I lived my whole life by expectations, not usually my own, my husband's expectations, my parents' expectations, society's expectations. And then I started realizing that if I didn't know what someone's expectations of me were, I would just make it up. And usually it was ridiculous. And then I would strive to meet those made up expectations. And so a big part of my earlier kind of authenticity journey was dropping all the expectations from anybody, any perceived expectations, any real expectations, whatever. And like the first six or eight months of recovery for me, it was like anti-perfectionism. I let everything go. It was the dead opposite of everything I had ever been. But I had to kind of do that because I had to then take like a thousand steps back and start asking myself, what do I expect of myself in this situation? Or what do I expect of myself as a mom? Because I had, you know, my parents and what they thought that a mom should be and my husband and what he thought that a mom should be. And then you go to homeschool groups and all those parents tell you about what they think a mom should look like and, you know, everywhere. And so when I actually finally stepped back and asked myself, what do I think a good mom looks like? then I could start kind of easing my way into that and feeling my way into it. But that was a really difficult process for me to kind of peel away all of the expectations and figure out what I actually expected.
0: It's like the great reset. I can relate to that one big time too. And then you decide that instead of the perfection, it's just evolution.
1: Uh very much
3: well excuse me what I was gonna say I was thinking you know once I got sober then that's when I started getting all these you know now I've got to be perfect like I wasn't before because I didn't care I was young and didn't care then I was a drunk and didn't care and now I'm like I'm sober and I don't have any excuses and you know it's kind of like you you don't want to look back and you just know that there's people that are sitting back and just waiting on you to fall. You know, like th- even my like, count, they all thought that I would be the one that would be back. I think I am one of like 16 or two of 16 that, praise God and still alive, haven't been back and haven't relapsed. So I'm with Steve. Like I've gotten sober one time. I mean, if you count like the 48 hours and I quit on my own when my husband detoxed me at home and I celebrated having a glass of wine and, and it was all over but um that's before I really you know I didn't know like whoever I don't know who it was It said you don't you truly don't know what you don't know but you know I try today to do my best and you know it may not be the best but it's my best and I have to be happy with that and you know I cannot fuel myself you know for unrealistic expectations and you know I don't want to feel the pain of imperfection today so like I said I do my best and you know that's really all I can do and I no longer beat myself up over petty things you know I felt enough shame in my when I was in active addiction to last me a lifetime and you know and so I just and I refused to go back there so you know it took me like I said a few years to get over that but um That's, that's not, that chapter, like that book is closed. You know, I, I cannot feel shame about my past anymore because, you know, from what everything I've learned and read, you know, that guilt and shame will get you drunk. And I remember my last drunk and part of it, but, um, you know, it was a blackout. It was a brownout, then a blackout, and then I woke up and detoxed, but so that was a good thing. But I remember that day up until... I don't remember it, and um, and that's something that that keeps me sober. You know, remembering, it, wanting to to end my life. So, um, so I know that I think it was Alex. I know what I'm doing right now is better than what I was doing yesterday, and so you know I can lay my head down at night knowing that that I tried my best, and and that, that's that's it's gotta be the best. You know, I, we will never be perfect. There was only one perfect person, and He's not in this, he's not in here right now with us, you know? And, you know, I just, I have to keep it real.
2: I think one challenge for me that is, is, is like, I say, okay, when I get better about accepting myself as, as imperfect, then there's a little question of like, how much do I still bother? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I, for me, it comes up a lot at work. So, uh, Steve and Julia, but I'm, I'm, I'm a physician. In practice and so like it's not a place that encourages like imperfection and just doing your best I mean, yes that's the rational human thing but it, it doesn't it's not the kind of field that lends to it it's so part of it's like okay i'm gonna accept that i'm not perfect i'm human i have my limits i do my best and that's great then the slide becomes like well am i really cut out for this should i just leave should i do something else and i start finding myself walking away from a lot of things where i can't be perfect not just work but hobbies too I'm like okay You can't do this perfectly then maybe you shouldn't do it and that's better in some sense in terms of there's a little less pressure like i'm not not so beating myself up but um what i haven't graduated to next is like actually you you should just sort of see like maybe it's okay and and so i i'm I'm making a little progress but now i have to have like this very very real talks with people. And it comes actually up with my boss a lot. And when recently where I was like, I actually can't do this. You think I can continue to do this leadership job, but I cannot. And here's why. And we're going to have to make a plan about it. Because you're going to have to get someone else. And like, there's not a rush. Not this week. But like, let's make a plan. And I, I periodically hear the tone in his voice. And this is also mind reading, which we shouldn't do. But like, <laughs> like him being like, who is this guy? And why are we having conversations like this? And he's like, it's very candid, very helpful, but like you can tell it's not normal. But I have to go, like reality test with people like, here's what I'm thinking like, am I, am I off? Am I completely making this up? And have, sometimes have him be like, no, I think you're doing a fine job. We're happy with you doing it. And I'm like, that's great. I'm not arguing that. I'm no longer saying like I'm bad at this. I'm saying I can't be satisfied, even if you are. And I'm not going to live in that stress anymore. I got to walk away before I completely have a breakdown and go back and drink, you know, and, and he knows I'm sober. So like, that's great. And I can sometimes say like, this is my limit. Um, but sometimes I have to acknowledge my limits too, that like, I, I can't, not only can I, I do have these expectations, but I can't always let go. And there's some situations I just can't put myself in any longer. Hobbies at home are easy to walk away from. Yeah, we're not so much. So you like you got to kind of figure out how am I going to make this work, and I guess one of the big surprises for me is like how much it actually works out that people are like, okay, sure, we can try to do something else. Yeah, when you just talk to them, because I think for me, um, like a lot of the expectations came from my parents, and like my parents' style, while loving uh, and caring, was also lots of expectations and not a lot of tolerance for it being challenged. And so I was just like, okay, I'll do that. And now finding out that, oh, like some people actually in the world are, are okay with you objecting and saying, I'm not sure I can do this. They're like, oh, well, that's a fine conversation to have. We can have that. Um, so it's amazing what you can find when you explore and, and actually take that step to bring it up with people.
4: Yeah. I think too, like with the in sobriety like listening to your story, I can relate a lot because it sounds like you are rediscovering who you are in a sense. And at least that's what I'm hearing as you're talking, like you're discovering like shifts within yourself. And that's what happened for me too. I started to discover What I really did want to do or maybe at one point when I drank, the idea of like working hours away and burnout was just like part of who I was. And as I started to get sober, I was like, I love this job, but I can't keep working, which might some people deem as perfection. Burnout is not part of my story anymore. Like I can't do it. I love this career, but something has to change because I myself am changing and I – feel like I'm constantly changing and learning new things about myself. And Julie, when you were talking, like I'm a firm firm believer, like we should not should our life away. Like if we should our life away and we're living for the shoulds of others, you are going to get to the end of your life and be like, what did I do with this like one precious life that I have to live? And it's really hard to recognize how you are shoulding and how you're showing up for the expectations of others. You have to get still like for me, it was literally like journaling, going to yoga, like trying on different things that reconnected me with myself and allowed me to like quiet the outside world and like figure out what do I want to do? I mean, a common thing that I experience right now is I'm 32. I work in fitness, which is like not what any of my other friends are working in. I have a best friend that's a doctor. I have a best friend that's like Climbing that corporate ladder. I have a friend that's a lawyer and I get stuck in this like, what am I doing? Like, should I be working at a corporate office? Should I be working in medicine? And it's like, no, I'm working in something that I am so passionate about that even though there's times where I let the should start to creep in, I'm able to pause and have the self-awareness that like, if I was to go and do that, I would get to the end of my life and be like, holy crap. I should in my life way because of the expectations of others and of society. And sobriety has given me that gift to be able to really feel grounded in who I am and the life that I live. And I think like one other thing that's cool too is connecting back with who you were as a kid and doing inner child work of like, what did you like to do before the world told you who you were supposed to be? Like, who were you before your parents told you that, you should go and climb a corporate ladder. Or that you should live in the suburbs, or that you should never move. You know what I mean? Like we get really stuck in this parallel of like this is this is how I'm supposed to do it, and it's like coming back to who you were as a little kid. And like for me, I love to have a picture. I'll see if like I have it right here <laughs> of myself as a kid at my desk, and I'm like, how would you talk to her? And, like, if you are in your sobriety journey or listening to this, like, go get a photo of yourself as a kid. How would you talk to him, her, they, them, like, however you identify, like, what would you say? Like, if that little girl was telling you her dream was to work in fitness and you didn't do that because of the shoulds of other people, like, no, you wouldn't. You would do whatever that little kid came up to talk to you. Or if you have a little kid in your life, I feel like for me, ever since becoming a mom, my whole sobriety shifted in like a whole new way, where it was really expansive of like, wow, I get to like be this person for her to look up to and for my son to look up to, and I want to like show them what is possible and that I live the life that was like true to me versus a life that was true to my mom or my dad or my grandma or whoever.
2: I'll, I'll point oh, up to it on too that. Go ahead. My parenting has changed in sobriety enormously as well and, and the, whichever order you do it in parenting or sobriety first um it, it's a huge shift but i also really like the idea of like shopping around for what works because i think even in sobriety like what people recommend and you know what i've had recommended to me in meetings podcasts of various kinds like you gotta find what works for you and and I, that's something that i never remember growing up but i, I do try to bring up in, in my parenting now, like. Tell us what works, you know, because it, it, as much as a lot of the shoulds come up in things like work, marriage, parenting, they come up in sobriety too, in recovery. And Mm -hmm. and it's very easy to, especially internal, at least for me, internalize this message of like, oh, I have to do it this one way when there's a lot of ways. Um, and whatever I do still has to be authentic to me, has to be what's right for me. Yeah, I,
0: like, Alex, you explain, it's like, I I call it the box, the box that, like, life is supposed to be lived in, the one, that's the, that's the one of expectations, that's the perfection of, this is, this is the societal parental box that, you know, you're going to live this good life if, if, if you do these things. Well, I can do those things authentic to myself, but I was like, I was doing them authentic to other people. And that's where the whole like breakdown is. You can't even be close to your own version of perfection. If you're trying to live up to someone else's. So, I mean, I'm going to end up wrapping this up here. Um, Like we talked about perfection and sobriety. We, you know, perfectionism straight to doormat, people pleasing. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. Perfection is external and internal, and perfection is an expectation that's really never attained. I want to thank you, Alex. Thank you, John, and thank you, Daph, for spending time with us tonight and joining the conversation. Really
2: appreciate you.
1: Guys, we're great. Thank you, for you having us. Thank, thank you. you.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: And we also want to thank our listeners and remind you to like, follow, subscribe if you've enjoyed our conversation. We'll be back next week talking about owning our responsibility in our actions and in our recovery. See you then.